0: Recorded at Get a Grip Studios in Toronto, Canada. A Get a Grip Management production and in association with the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Financially supported by the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors and presented by the National Lighting Bureau, the Illuminating Engineering Society, and the International Dark Sky Association. Added to the IES's 2021 Progress Report, this is Starving for Darkness, a podcast. This episode of Starving for Darkness is brought to you by Evluma. If you're serious about contributing to the reduction of light pollution, go to Evluma.com, hover over Products, and click on Dark Sky Friendly Lighting. Both the Omnimax and AreaMax lights are International Dark Sky Association certified. The warmer color temperatures of the Omnimax reduce the more easily scattered blue wavelengths, which contribute to glare and sky glow. With AreaMax lights, you get full cutoff, which also means no uplight and a significantly reduced contribution to skyglow. And all of Evluma's outdoor lighting product lines come with dimmable drivers for even more control. If your customer is looking for dark-sky friendly fixtures with energy savings while still meeting the demands of decorative lighting, look no further than Evluma. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies.
1: Hello, listeners and darkness lovers. Welcome to another episode of Starving for Darkness. Today, I'm so excited to have Gail Walker on the show. Gail is the founder and president of Nantucket Lights, an all-volunteer citizen advocacy group recently formed to combat the growing light pollution on Nantucket, a beloved island off of the coast of Massachusetts. Gail, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to have you. We start every episode with the same request. Would you please tell us about a dark sky experience that left you with a feeling of awe?
2: Sure. Um, well, good morning, Jane. Good so morning. nice to see you. Yeah. Um, and it's such a pleasure to be here. I'm so honored to be invited to your podcast, um, an award-winning podcast, I might mention. Uh, <laughs> Thank congratulations you. Congratulations on your recent Thank award you. from the National so Dark Sky Association. Um, Thank you so I've had a lot of dark sky experiences, but I would say the one that was most awesome uh, was probably when we were living in Egypt, and uh, I took the kids camping into the western desert of Egypt. Um, we were over living in Egypt uh, while my husband was a foreign correspondent for the Washington Post, and to escape the sort of the big city, um, we would go out into the desert with a desert survivalist guide, and we were away from all lights. I mean, I've never been so remote. Um, think of the desert you saw in The English Patient, if you saw that movie.
1: Oh, I love that movie.
2: So it was, it was just incredible. And I, I just had never seen the dark sky like that. So that, that was the most awesome. And it was also awesome because my children were like three and five at the mm-hmm. time. And so they gained an appreciation of the dark sky too.
1: That's amazing, and I was just on your Facebook page for Nantucket Lights this morning. Um, I think it. What is it at Ack Lights? A C K Lights. Is that the yes, handle? Yes, A C K is
2: the A C K is the airport symbol or acronym for Nantucket, so we call it Ack for short. Um, I see. At Ack Light A C K, Lights. Lights, correct?
1: Lights. Perfect. Yes. 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 And I saw there was a book that you were amplifying, which I think was called Stargazer, and it was encouraging kids to look out the window and see this infinite portal. And I you know, I think that's, it's one of the losses that I think is larger than we even realize that when we don't offer this infinity, this moment of ex- existential understanding to small little humans, that it's we're robbing them of that expansion of that possible knowing and also knowing what we don't know. So what was it like seeing your kids react to that night sky?
2: Well, um, it it was just a joy, I mean, because you, you see it through their eyes, um, and to see them in awe, I just felt like a good mother, (laughs) um, (laughs) and, and that book i have to say i immediately bought it for my uh granddaughter who was born just seven weeks ago and so i i read it to her at every opportunity i get even though of course she doesn't understand it right now but Mm -hmm. i I couldn't agree with you more i mean you got to start um educating the kids now and getting them on board with this uh need to preserve our dark skies or we're gonna lose it
1: yeah, so I was reviewing your career and your career is quite uh, colorful in terms of the work that you've done and where you've done it in the world. Um, and so how did you, so you are a former litigator for the US Department of Justice. How did you begin your
2: work in light pollution? Um, so I retired in 2015 from the Department of Justice and was spending more and more time in the village on Nantucket where we have a summer home. I'd been going up there for, I think it's 36 years now, but mm-hmm. had only been able to stay a week or two weeks at a time because of limited vacation. And so when I retired, I started spending more time there and decided to um, get involved with the Civic Association of the little village that where our house is. And when I became, On the board of that, light issues, light pollution issues started arising. I mean, um, people in the community were asking the Civic Association, can't you please do something about this? And I was a, you know, eager beaver new board member and said, I'll take it on. And um, Mm -hmm. I really hadn't done anything with light pollution up until that point. And um, I didn't even know that Nantucket had a dark sky ordinance, um, but, Mm -hmm. you know, looking, into things on behalf of the community i found that out and just started working with the people of that small community um, on what we called our dark sky initiative we added information to our website and we started i started giving um, presentations about it at our civic association meetings and interfacing with the town to help with street lights that were shining in um, people's bedrooms Um, and that's been going that that started around 2016 and so i w- was working on light pollution issues just very hyper locally on nantucket for for all these years and then um uh, late last year um the nantucket civic league found out about the work i was doing in Wisconsin, and asked me to help them coordinate a public forum on light pollution for the whole island because mm. um other um, neighborhoods were complaining about that as well. So I organized that for them, and that was held in March of this year. And then the reaction to that was just so positive. Um, and it was just clear that there was broad support for doing more to reduce light pollution on the island, across the island. So I was encouraged to expand my efforts beyond the village where I'd been working, to the whole island. And, um, and so I did. Um, and so I only formed Nantucket Lights this June. It's, it's, a, it's a big wow. organization. Wow. I actually, in all this
1: time working with you um, and listeners, just so you know, so Gail, I think you've called me like three separate times for three separate reasons um, because the company that I work for, Spec Lines, we actually are based in Sandwich, Massachusetts. Um, and we've done much of the exterior lighting in New England. Um, for the past 30 years, and so um, it happens to be that not only do I work as a dark sky advocate, but I also work in the lighting industry, and um, that's an interesting thing to be in the lighting industry and advocating for darkness um, all the time. I I feel like I have to wear multiple hats, but my answer Mm -hmm. for any of the conflict is that we need advocates everywhere, Um, and so I'm very happy to bring this message from within the lighting industry, Um, But so it's just funny to have you on the show because we've also been working quite closely on several different projects in Nantucket. Um, And so I don't normally even bring in that aspect of my work to the show. Um, But just listeners, so you know, we have um, actually been working together and it's been really nice because I really believe that Nantucket stands a chance to actually be a leader. Um, As an island off the coast, you have a smaller population to leverage into an idea and so i'm just so excited about the work that you're doing
2: well and i really Um, appreciate all that you've done to help me jane Um, i'm I'm relatively new to this so it's been a steep learning curve so um, i think you were um, i learned about you early on and immediately started peppering you with questions basically every expert i can uh, you know who will talk to me I reach out to because it's a huge learning experience for me. Um, but you mentioned Nantucket being a sort of a manageable population. Mm. There's actually special challenges because it's also a summer resort mm-hmm. destination or summer destination mm. for many. The year round population um, is only around 18,000, is uh, what people estimate. Oh, wow. And in the summer, it can grow to um, normally, fifty to sixty thousand, and during the pandemic last year, it grew. They estimated to a hundred thousand. Wow! So, it's it's one thing to reach out to the um, the year round community. Mm-hmm. I think that's the easier part of this, um, and establishing relationships there. It's so much harder to reach out to people who come for just a short time, and yeah. aren't necessarily involved in the community or local issues, and mm-hmm. I have to say, so there's a lot of new building going on in Nantucket because it's been discovered and it became very popular in the pandemic, and uh, even more people bought there and are building. And with new homeowners, um, they really like the uplighting. And it is, you know, I have to say myself, I think it's pretty, um, but totally not good for our dark sky. And how do I reach those people to convince them? please don't do this to our island. I mean, um, I'm, I'm always struck by people buying on Nantucket because of its rural aspects, that then wanting to come and sort of do the opposite of what makes it so special. But um, we do so, have some special challenges, but I am optimistic.
1: So how is Nantucket rural? Can you just explain maybe the topography of the island a little?
2: Yeah, I wish I could show you a map. but. Um, Nantucket's an island that's um i think it's eighteen uh miles long and three and a half miles wide mm-hmm. um, and there's only there's one uh, t- town Nantucket town is the commercial town center and then there are a lot then everybody else is scattered around the island there's a few concentrated uh residential areas like the village where we have our house which is um saya si um People local people call it sconset. and then there's Matiket and Walwint. There's a few established other areas, but mainly that's scattered around. Um, but the one thing that makes it really rural is um, it's 40% um, conservation land now, so it'll never be wow. built on. So you have huge areas in the interior um, where where there will be no building on. So it makes it feel very rural. And um, once you get out of the town and and into some of these communities, it feels, it, it can feel very rural. I mean, there's still sand roads getting to some houses sand dirt mm-hmm. roads. Um, uh, so um, there's no, there's um, a height limit, uh, you know, and there's two historic districts. It just, it feels um, in some areas, um, there, there's um, farmland. Um, mm-hmm. It just feels rural. Well, yeah. it
1: sounds like Nantucket is doing a great job. Actually, preserving. I mean, it reminds me when you say 40% of the island has been preserved, um, E.O. Wilson is uh, the environmentalist who wants us to actually preserve 50% of the planet. So you're already edging mm. up to what E.O. Wilson is recommending. And um, I mean, that's amazing. But the catch is that communities can actually have all of the right intentions and then lighting is just this haywire element that gets added because there's a lack of understanding of its impact and how easy it is to pollute with it so it's it's funny that there's so much um advocacy happening to preserve the island's rural state and then you have this element coming in that that changes it completely so you're saying there's a lot of people coming to the island loving it for its rural nature but then they're adding lights that are up lights and and you're seeing this light added
2: yeah i think that's got to be the explanation um light pollution has increased on nantucket 2.4 percent since um uh, 2012 um, Mm -hmm. which is a little higher i think than the global rate and it's not like there's been um additional street lights put in or um that many more businesses there's a few more business bigger businesses that came in but um, most of the growth during that time has been residential so that's i mean that's my guess is that a lot of it's coming from up lighting and pool lighting and flood lighting you get people building on tantucket who um otherwise live in big cities and so they come kind of with a fear of darkness it's just sort of an innate Mm. fear of darkest thinking Oh, I've got to have floodlights. When, in fact, Nantucket has a very low crime rate. I mean, we don't even, I shouldn't say this probably on a public podcast, but we don't even lock our doors at night. Right. We're in our village. Um, It's just, it's not a huge um, concern. But those coming in who don't really understand the community and are new to it, that's their reflexes to put in all this lighting.
1: I mean, I feel that every time I'm from Woodstock, New York, upstate New York, and we, do, we don't lock our doors there and we don't lock our cars. And um, but every time I like have been like urbanized, I go home and I'm like <laughs> hitting the beeper on my car. And I feel like, you know, I, I know the personality that I've become and how far that's changed um, my thinking, but I'm like, I'm not going to leave my car unlocked. So <laughs> I, I I get that urban to rural kind of transition. It is hard for the city mind to kind of realize. Um, and yeah, I think I, I was actually recently posting on Instagram um, the maps and encouraging other people to tag their light pollution map in their corner of the world. But if you look at Boston, uh, it's it's pink and white that's like those those are the highest colors for light pollution on the light pollution info website and so we don't have night anymore and i would imagine that there's a lot of people coming from boston itself to go to nantucket so here you have a population that doesn't even know it's lost the night anymore and then they come and they they just bring the light with them
2: well also, I guess, hand in hand with that, they come from these big cities, and they see Nantucket is still relatively dark, and so they don't think mm. it's a problem. Um, and so what's it if I light up my house here? You know, we're we're on a dark island. Um, so I have to first convince people that it is a problem, and then convince them that, um, educate them on how we can solve it.
1: Yeah. I I am also in that convincing role as well. What are the most uh, common counter arguments that you are up against in your advocacy in the community?
2: Well, the only one I've heard, and it seems to be from a a minority is that you need all this. um, Well, some of the lighting that people complain of, they say they need it for um, safety. I don't, I mean, I don't, on the residential uplighting, when you point these things out, people don't defend that. I mean, they don't say, "Oh no, we need that for safety." Uh, but they might defend they they need the floodlights for safety. But there's um, uh, there, there's some commercial parking lots that I think are overlit that some people would say, mm-hmm. "Oh, we need all that light for safety." Um, the town has some properties that I think a, a good <laughs> portion of the community thinks is over lit, but the school, oops, I just revealed it, it's public school property, um, they think it's needed for safety. Um, mm-hmm. So on those, um, I am reaching out to um, another expert like yourself who knows the, Inter- the Illuminating Engineering Society guidelines mm. and pointing out that these lights actually far exceed those guidelines. They don't need to be that uh, bright um, for for safety purposes Um, so that that is that's that's that I suppose is the big pushback Um, when it comes to street lighting um, I'm involved in discussions with the town about um, converting to LED and what I hear on that front is well with our cobblestones and historic district we need the bright light so that people uh, you know can see where they're going and don't trip Um, so those are the arguments i get but in general there's there's uh, widespread support for doing something about it uh, especially mm-hmm. around the year round community because i mean they 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 love nantucket for what it used to be and want want it to preserve that um so um i don't i really don't get too much pushback there's widespread support That's wonderful
1: yeah i think that's why you have an opportunity at your fingertips here um and i i uh was on your website today it's so thorough and um you've done a great job and um i know we had talked and you said that you kind of used your uh your litigator skills to build a case um Hmm. so can you talk about how you've been building this case in nantucket um to 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 really harness the positive support you're getting. Because I really believe that because you're an island, um, that you stand a chance to actually be a leader and and make headway in the East Coast. Because if anyone wants to look for themselves, you can go to lightpollutionmap.info. The East Coast is rife with light pollution. We barely have any dark sky areas at all. So Nantucket could be a leader. Um, and so, yeah, so what are you seeing?
2: Um, how am I building my case? Um, yeah, what are well, your, how are you building I, just, your case? Just to sort of explain the background of that, I was a litigator for the Justice Department, and each case um, had to a new issue and had to uh, convince a judge or a jury um, to rule in the government's favor. Um, so I'm, I'm approaching it kind of like that. I am trying to. Um, Educate people through like expert testimony, so to speak. Um, you know, I'm not just I'm not just using my own subjective mm-hmm. wishes ju- judgment. Like, oh, the sky the sky isn't bright. I'm actually trying to use data and experts who know what they're talking about. Because I don't have the credentials. I'm not I'm not an expert by any means in this. Uh, I'm just a citizen advocate. So I'm trying to present. So whenever a, here's an example. So whenever a new study comes out and lately there's been a lot about the impact of light pollution on wildlife, mm-hmm. plants and insects included, um, I post that on post uh, social media and try to bring attention to that and um, slowly building the case that way. I'm, um, well, one of the things we're doing is, um, We have a bylaw we have an outdoor lighting bylaw that's considered a dark sky bylaw that was adopted in 2005 but a lot of people didn't know about that um i mean i I think it got a lot of attention when it was when it was adopted but over time it's just been forgotten so Mm -hmm. part of building my case uh so to speak is telling like, like this is what this is what you're not allowed to do by the law the regulations on Nantucket and giving examples of what is in violation of those regulations and an alternative that would be compliant. Um, And building the case, I have to say, when you're a litigator, you sort of have a captive audience. You have a judge who has to listen to you and and make a decision based on the competing arguments. Um, I feel like this is a whole new kind of advocacy for me because first I have to get their attention to build the case, you know, get them to mm-hmm. listen to me. And mm-hmm. um, Nantucket, like elsewhere, has uh, competing problems, and some some cases more urgent. We have uh, huge erosion problems that the town's trying to grapple with. Uh, the whole island's trying to grapple with affordable housing is a real problem. So um, I have to pace myself, because those are, you know, for sure, valid concerns that people have to worry about. And I I, so I don't want to insist that this is like the most urgent thing, um, or Mm. that this is the only thing they should be focused on because it's not. And so this will be a this will be a slow, a slow walk, so to speak. Um, uh, But at every chance I get, I try to point out the harm. And then counter that with, well, here's what you can do. Each person can do to uh, to help.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. It is a slow burn myself because I also advocate from within the lighting industry, and sometimes I'm just very much wondering why the pace of of the shift of change of thought of how we approach this isn't picking up. Um, and I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Maya Angelou's quote, if you know better, you do better. And so I think mm-hmm. slowly we can introduce these ideas um, and hopefully people can. Now you had said that over the pandemic, uh, the islands sw- has swelled to 100,000 So, and there's a housing shortage. So what is the building strategy? Because that's sort of when you're gonna see light pollution come onto the building uh, plans. So um, what, do you know what's happening with that? as in new buildings well, new lights new leds more lighting more pedestrians etc more lights more people more lights basically
2: more people more lights um so we do have this outdoor lighting bylaw and mm-hmm. the new building should be complying with it so to address to sort of capture or to prevent the problems before they start uh, one thing we're going to be doing is working with um, educating the architects, and the landscape designers, and the home builders, the tradesmen. Um, Mm -hmm. And all those people, for the most part, are part of the year-round community. So they're all in favor of Dark Sky, but they may not have the the materials and the tools to convince a new homeowner what not to do. So I'm I'm hoping Mm -hmm. to address that. But the town, I mean, there's nothing official being done beyond what's already on the books to control building. Um, it's, uh, what's happening is there aren't that many open lots that are buildable, but very wealthy folks are coming in and buying you know, maybe older houses, tearing them down and renovating them or adding on to them. And um, that, in part, is what's probably contributing to the affordable housing problem, so it's connected. Um but um yeah there's this unfortunately there's gonna be more building and more lights that go along with it, but we hope to convince people to do it in an environmentally responsible way. Um and I have to say, like Nantucket they they, they need this um they get a lot from property taxes from these new homes and that's mm-hmm. what helps pay for the right. roads and the schools and, you know, all the infrastructure, the Department of Public Works and all that. So it's a balance you have to, you have to reach, you know, um, so I can't say we, we're not gonna, we couldn't possibly oppose all new building that would, that would never get us anywhere. So what we're doing is like, okay, build, but then light it responsibly.
1: Right. Right. And I saw you posted the five steps for responsible lighting that the IDA and the IES converted, um, con, uh, collaborated on. Um, and so um, can you talk a little bit more about some of the projects that you're working on um, currently? And I-, I will say I really enjoy your your approach, which is that it's uh, crowdsourced. You are actually getting community feedback, which is a great way to engage and then direct your efforts with more umph. So can you talk about some of the projects you're working on?
2: Sure. Um, so uh, well, on the residential level, what we did was, um, our very first initiative was to create um, and publish a guide for responsible outdoor lighting for residences that's specific to Nantucket. So like it's that's why I felt like you have to be hyper-local and uh, to appeal to people. Um, and I included information about these five principles that were adopted mm-hmm. by IES and IDA, but also the uh, Nantucket uh, bylaw that I need mm-hmm. to educate people about. So, anyway, we're we distributing those all over the island uh, in collaboration with the Nantucket Civic League, um, trying to get a, them out through all the civic organizations that uh, make up that league. Um, and also, I think we got about 12 um, shops around the island to agree to. Uh, be a pickup point for them and so we posted mm-hmm. that on our website oh wow so then to get beyond so that was sort of tackling the residential first steps in tackling the residential lighting and then i wanted to find out well where what do people think are the worst um sources of pollution that are non-residential so i did a little poll asked for feedback on facebook there's uh, Nantucket has a uh, Nantucket year-round community group on Facebook, which has about 8,000 people um, in it. That's the way they communicate with each other, I love it. Um, You always know what's going on if you're part of that group. And it's not political, it's very local, um, the way Facebook was probably envisioned originally. Anyway, I asked for feedback and um, got a lot of responses on Facebook and and through email uh, and what they thought. And what we're doing is tackling the ones that were, were, had the most were most frequently mentioned, and mm-hmm. I already mentioned mm-hmm. the public schools, so I, I that's out of the bag. But that public school, the the public school complex came in way ahead of uh, anybody else, and mm-hmm. on that one, we have um, uh, asked a uh, independent outdoor lighting expert from Cambridge to come over and assess those lights and to take measurements uh, because um, the Nantucket bylaw incorporates by reference the IES guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and they mm-hmm. it actually incorporates, it says it can't exceed like the minimum. They want to be on the lower end of the range recommended by IES. And I didn't know how to take those measurements. I couldn't tell just by Mm -hmm. looking at them if they exceeded it. This is going back to my collecting data, like objective data to help build the case. And anyway, um, we were very fortunate that um, uh, someone from um, a very uh, widely respected firm in Cambridge um, was willing to have somebody come over pro bono um, to take Mm -hmm. these measurements. Um, and uh, we're in the process of putting together a report. Or he's in the process of putting together a report that then I'll present to the to the school officials. And I'm really hoping that with that objective data, that that will convince them to revisit their lighting choices. Um, mm-hmm. Because as you know, um, IES sets these standards that are widely accepted um, as safety standards. And I think, really, I really think the school officials thought they were complying with them, um, but. I just um, weren't for you know they probably didn't have the uh, the the meter that you need to to measure and so forth. They didn't have an expert guiding them. I'm guessing. So that's one project. Um, another one is. Um, I, I feel like I shouldn't name names because um, no pressure I to name names yeah. yet. Yeah. So <laughs> another uh, business on the island what came in second place with a lot of complaints so um that's the one i've been in touch with you about as it turned out spec lines was the one um that um i guess sourced the the lights that are there now and just um looking uh exploring with you options like how to make them more dark sky friendly and really hoping for a solution to that and um again my approach will be you know you give me the Your recommendation and then I will reach out to the uh, property owner and try to convince them like this is a way you could be um, help preserve our dark skies and still have a safe parking lot and then there's a few other uh, projects Um, um, but one that comes to mind wasn't actually named as a problem so it was a really nice um, surprise, a uh, homeowners association near the airport, not well, sort of close to the airport relatively, uh, actually reached out to me to say, would you partner with us and help us explore making um, the homeowner association owned streetlights more dark sky friendly? Because they had gotten the message and were totally on board and mm-hmm. want to be a, a help to be a, to lead by example. So nobody complained about these lights, um, but wouldn't have even come to my attention. So um, that's another project I'm hoping you'll be able to help with. Um, And let's see. um, Oh, another thing you are going to help me with, I hope, is Nantucket Mm -hmm. is um, all over Nantucket are these uh, so-called onion lights. Yeah, um, yeah. They're very historic looking. They're 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 meant to look historic looking, and Nantucket's an historic community, so everybody has these lights. Um, I think probably the shop manufacturers sell them as Nantucket onion lights. Um, mm-hmm. But the problem with the onion lights is that the bulb is totally exposed. Now, under our bylaw, if it's above um, 600 lumens, which is about 40 watts incandescent, they're not allowed. But it's going to be really hard to convince people to um, get different fixtures or to necessarily change um, their light bulb to that low. So I had reached out to you and said, is there some is there some bigger solution that we could offer them? And I'm hoping you'll help me with that.
1: Um, yes, there is a pro- potentially a lamping solution that would direct from the light bulb itself, the, the light down from within right. the, the lamp or the light bulb. So th- there may be something that could really get improvement.
2: And that's something well, that hoping, I often and then, say. And then my yeah, plan yeah. is, once you give me the details about that, I'm really hoping one of the, um, the big retailers on the island will agree to partner with us and either give them give these light bulbs away or at a substantial discount. Or maybe mm-hmm. we can raise money and give them away. Um, but I'm really eager to get going with that because that would be a way that then those who are supportive can show that they are supportive.
1: Right, right. And I often say, uh, don't let complexity be a barrier. So, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes the solution is not perfect. So those onion lamps are never going to be dark sky compliant, but you could probably, if you're saying that there's so many residences that have these, a simple solution to change the lamp out could reduce a lot of uplight in the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and, and so, and and it's funny that, you know, you talk about these projects that, you know, we've all been a part of throughout the years, uh, my company included. Um, And, you know, five years ago, I did was not on the darkness front at all. I was just embarking upon it. And at that time in the lighting industry, it was all about lumens per watt. And it was all about getting the most efficacy. We'd never seen efficacy like that before. And so the more lumens, the better was the mentality in terms of designing lighting. And I'm sure there's exceptions, but that really was what drove us into this environmental crisis was trying to get more and more lumens out of our fixtures, whether or not we needed it. So... It's just funny to see how the arc has come full circle now that we're trying to really understand how much light we're putting on on projects and places like schools are really hard because, you know, we're dealing with our beloved children and wanting safety at, 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 you know, there's nothing that we would ever do to compromise the safety of our children. And that that's a beautiful story, but it's not actually the truth of in terms of creating human visibility and, um and the counterbalance, because the, the lack is, which I'm sure you, you, you come up with this so often is people don't know of the consequence of too much light. They know of the consequences of too little light, um, which can be true, but the, the, the other side that, that counterbalance is not known. So that's why there's so much advocacy needed um, in how we, we light the planet. Now you are Um, I, I just also want to circle back, which is you say, you know, you've been convening with experts. Well, I was just on the international dark sky associations, global conference. They had 2,300 people, which is a lot. It's a great attendance. But if you think about the amount of people on the planet, it's not that many. And, um, so we have this sort of army divided all over the world trying to create advocates. You are one such person advocating and what I would say is you're an expert because you're a living thing. And <laughs> we all need to uh, we all need darkness, we all need the skies. And so um, it's actually people like you that are getting in the trenches that are um, as ex- as much of an expert as anyone else because Truly, you're kind of remembering how important darkness is and and becoming a lightning rod for conve- conveying that message so um
2: well, now you yeah well, I appreciate you saying that I don't feel like an expert compared to somebody like you or somebody who who um have, have been in this involved in this for many years, and I think that's part of the problem is when you start talking about lumens and watts and kelvins and um Color rendering, and you know all the things I'm learning about um, when we're looking into LED streetlights. It's it's a it's a little daunting, and um, I've been looking into these LED streetlight issues for several years now, and I still feel like I'm learning something. So mm-hmm. I want to be an advocate, but it's um, it's, it's kind of is a full time job to to educate myself, keep up on it, and then explain it in a way that somebody brand new to the subject can understand it. Um, and that, that's the challenge. And that takes me back to my litigating litigating days. That, I mean, that's what you do is like, you take complex issues and uh, make them understandable to somebody who has no previous familiarity with it. Um, so yeah. anyway, I'm, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to be an expert, but uh, I, I feel like there's still a lot to learn.
1: Yeah, I, it is, I mean, yeah, even, being in the lighting industry I will tell you that um, there is still so much research to be done and that we are only scratching on the topic and and in the industry we call it light and health um, and but I think that that term even is you know limiting because we're you're only talking about it from the aspect of light what about darkness and health um, so you had said also that Uh, Nantucket is lucky to be be bestowed with a Light Enforcement Officer. Um, Can Mm. you talk about this role of this officer currently, what you would hope um, that this role could take on?
2: Well, the the creation of this position called the Lighting Enforcement Officer was part of the bylaw that was adopted in 2005. the, The bylaw actually doesn't spell out the duties it just says anything beyond i mean it doesn't spell it out beyond he- this person is responsible enforcing the uh, the regulations um mm-hmm. i would like to see the lighting enforcement officer be a little more proactive um the way it's staffed now is uh with somebody who um, it's, his duties are split between enforcing the the lighting regulations and other duties and mm-hmm. um they uh, the enforcement is what they call complaint based it, he doesn't go out and you know patrol areas looking for a violation he will only t- uh, investigate and take any action if somebody complains about it um and of course, if people don't know what the restrictions are how are they going to know to complain about it and a lot of people didn't even know we had one so a uh, lighting enforcement officer that is so um Our first step, just minimal step, is we are asking people to educate themselves about the bylaw, comply with themselves, educate their neighbors about it, and then as a last resort, report to the lighting enforcement officer. Um, Mm -hmm. I would actually rather there be voluntary compliance because um, this guy who holds this position, he has so many other duties, he he can't possibly uh, spend his you know all this time enforcing it, um, mm-hmm. but I, I think I think I would. I think that's one thing we're going to talk to the town about is seeing if this could be um, uh, a dedicated position so that th- the job is just enforcing the light lighting re- restrictions and not split with his other duties, and be more proactive. You know, go out at night and patrol and look for violations, and. Um, one thing about the bylaw that it's hard for people necessarily to know if there's a violation as they talk in terms of foot candles well mm-hmm, not everybody has mm-hmm. a foot candle meter um i certainly mm-hmm. don't so like you can guess you know like that kind of looks bright but until you wouldn't know the objective measurement only he could and he that would be taken at night when the lights are on um so anyway i'm encouraging people to report suspected violations and take pictures so that, you know at least the picture can indicate some level whether there's a violation or not um, and hopefully get them more involved and I'm also encouraging the town to come up with an easier way to report violations by somewhere on, on the their website having a um, Um, Right now they have a portal for making a service request to the Department of Public Works. So, I'd like there to be a portal for reporting a suspected lighting violation so that um, they get it goes into some database and there's some tracking and there could be an annual report at the end every year Mm. to say, okay, there were this many complaints. We did this many investigations and we found this many violations. We issued this many fines. But of course, that adds Mm. to the. the burden on this this um, this guy who's has to do all these other duties. So um, I think it's great that we have a lighting enforcement officer, but I don't necessarily think that's going to solve our problems. Um, we I have to create I have to um, prompt a, a shift in the culture so that they just people want to mm-hmm. comply, comply voluntarily. And for that matter, I want them to go beyond what the bylaw now says, because that is outdated. Um, it's not even consistent with the IDA's model lighting ordinance uh, that they adopted mm. in 2011. And so we're gonna need to, to revise it, but I wanna revise it in a way that people on their own can figure out how to comply with it them themselves and hopefully encourage people just to do the right thing. Anyway, I'm I'm optimistic cuz I, I again I think if we can reach these people, my experience has been if you point it out, they're like, "Oh, I had no idea." You know, of course, of course we um will will you know, comply. Um mm-hmm. So, so I'm well, uh, an optimist, but I really think if we if we strengthen the bylaw and educate people about it, educate people about the harm from overlighting, that the role of this lighting enforcement officer is not the critical part of my puzzle anyway.
1: Right. Well, what I hear is a puzzle that you're putting together piece by piece. And I, I hear mm-hmm. I see you building the case in with like a, a system that's built on a strong foundation piece by piece. And maybe it's not the fastest process, but mm-hmm. I see yeah. that. And that's why I feel like you have really key pieces. Yes, that lighting enforcement officer has other duties but the fact that you have someone with that role and that hat on is unique and you will not see that in every community. And so much of the time, lighting ends up being very unregulated despite bylaws and ordinances. So there is at least the role to regulate and that could take off in a stronger direction in the future. So I, I, what I hear in your, that the foundation that you're building is that it's very strong to suddenly get to that tipping point. We have not reached the tipping point. I do so much grassroots education. I did some with you. We we worked with students um, to try and talk about light pollution. And I witnessed so many aha moments. And so I'm sure you sort of do too, where people are like, oh, there is a an, a problem on the other side of too much light that it, it does have consequence so mm-hmm. i i see that you're building that case very strongly in your in in and it's only been like four or five months since you've you know made it official
2: right. well another part of the puzzle that i'm going to work on is i really want to get the school kids involved
1: um because
2: mm. you do see those aha moments especially the kids the kids get it Quicker somehow. Um, So, um, we're actually thinking of asking. um, I don't know quite how to choose the person, but for there to be a student representative on our steering committee to give that perspective, um, get them involved. I I think maybe we'll do like an art contest or something um, with the younger kids and use that as part of our advertisement. But I think, you know, part of it is getting the kids educated. And then they'll talk to their parents and they'll talk to their kids and they'll grow up and then they'll be more attuned to this. So, so, um, but that again, only gets to the people who are year rounders. Um, mm-hmm. Still a bit of a challenge to get to the people who, um, who don't live there year round, but we've gotten some really good press coverage. And um, there in particular, there are these two um, uh, daily, or not daily, in all cases, but um, newsletters by news agencies that are, are that go out either daily or several times a week. That I think people who don't have um, who don't live any around do read, and so we'll be putting um, ads in that and trying to get them to cover any any developments, any accomplishments we have
1: yeah it's it is so nice to be able to amplify that work and get it out um just to get people to see and feel what you're doing um and so i I wanted to ask now nantucket you said is a three on the Bortle scale um
2: three or four three or four yeah yeah
1: um and for an island that size that's so rural it's too high to be honest um it should be lower but yeah yeah but I think more of the fear is, is the trajectory, because you're a three or four now. But if things keep going uh, in sort of this blind building with no understanding of the impact of light, it could be, you know, five, which would be way too high for, for an island. And so you are um, in pursuit of making Nantucket a dark skies community. How is that going? Mm.
2: Well, um, funny you should mention it, because just yesterday I paid the um... application fee to actually get the process rolling and um that's 250 dollars um and it's a two to three year process as you know um but i feel like i've i laid enough groundwork that we can now um start the process and uh in part it's because we started a gofundme campaign and Mm -hmm. have enough uh contributions to buy a uh, sky quality meter so we can start the um, yes uh, sky quality monitoring program that they require as part of that and, and I, again mm-hmm. I hope maybe to enlist some students to help with that um, so we're at the very beginning stages but um, I'm kind of excited that we are now in the in the in the loop <laughs> and getting IDA's <laughs> help because um, they provide you a roadmap basically of how to protect your dark skies. And it will be great to have their their guidance and the guidance of everybody in the advocacy network. But one of the big challenges is going to be revising the the bylaws um, to make it uh, stronger and consistent with what the requirements are of that program. And Mm. Nantucket has um, kind of a different way of of governance, um, all bylaws, regulations are adopted at an annual town meeting, and this, this whole process—you have to submit your proposed language by November of the uh, preceding the spring town meeting. Yeah. It has to go through all kinds of committees and boards, and you have to—you basically have to then go around the whole island lobbying for people to vote for it. Um, so. If the language is too technical, I have to, you know, that it makes it harder to sell. So anyway, Absolutely. as a lawyer, I'm hoping my experience, my legal experience will help draft um, a, a, a bylaw, a new bylaw that would meet the requirements of this um, International Dark Sky Community Program. Um, and, um, and we'll try to get it passed. But that's, that's like going to be like a two-year process. And then the other big challenge is getting the town to bring its own lights, make its own lights dark sky friendly. They're really good mm-hmm. except for the schools. So I'm 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 really hoping that um, we can convince them to change change their lights and um anyway, it's it's a process. It'll be um, it'll be a long haul. But I mean, we already I feel like could meet a lot of the requirements i could get the letters of support i could probably get the some you know elected official to back me um i could meet a lot of the requirements i could set up the dark sky events you have to have but um these other two things are are going to be challenging so that's why i'm starting now and
1: yeah i think if you were, did, were to, to achieve uh that a dark sky designation i i correct me if i'm wrong listeners but i think the closest dark sky region to boston is in acadia maine so that's very far off from nantucket and i, I mean it would be just such a beacon of darkness that you would be, be able to create and advocate with
2: well there's no reason we shouldn't be i mean if we can tackle these few things and get the the bylaws uh, to, to match up with the, the specified requirements. I mean, Nantucket has a heritage of dark skies. I mean, it's always been a place that people came to to see the stars. And there's um, uh, Mariah Mitchell Association has an observatory there that is very respected. They do research of the stars there. Um, so if we can nip this in the bud and meet the technical requirements, I, I really think we can be designated. And um, yeah, it would be exciting. I I don't think there are any other in Massachusetts for sure. So we'd be the first one in Massachusetts.
1: And it's a, I mean, uh, maybe you've thought of this, but it's an amazing way to advertise in terms of astrotourism. It would be excellent for business to be able to say, oh, come to Nantucket, the dark sky region closest to Boston.
2: Well, I'd say tourism is not Nantucket's problem. (laughs) We get huge uh, (laughs) tourism here, but it would be nice that people would come more for the stars than the partying. Although, you know, it's the you you have to have the balance. I mean, you know, you have to have these summer uh, tourist dollars to pay again for, you know, help pay for the infrastructure and stuff. So it has to be a balance. But I, I do think we can have both. It can be, you know, a place with great restaurants and great festivals, but we can also have dark, great dark skies. So I'm going to change
1: things up a little bit, but you also, we have something in common, which is that we've both lived in India and you did some amazing work in India. Um, You Mm -hmm. coordinated a multifaceted Mm -hmm. and unprecedented campaign to educate people about HIV and AIDS. So how did that advocacy help you here and now in Nantucket? Well,
2: that was a, much i would say ambitious undertaking in a developing country so i kind of feel like if i can Mm -hmm. do something of that magnitude there i should be able to do it on nantucket but um you know advocacy is advocacy i mean it's persuading people to support something you believe in and trust you with their money to make changes um but in india i mean we ended up coordinating with um I was working with a um, a non international nonprofit organization. So I wasn't doing it on my own, but I was the mm-hmm, uh, program mm-hmm. project manager, and mm-hmm. took care of all the logistics. But in the end, we ended up coordinating. I think uh, it was like 500 different organizations, uh, many of which were international organizations, and so we we just coordinated this this huge effort. And I would say, I mean, the same skills that made that a success should apply here. You know, just um, you know, build your case, make a good case for why you, um, what you want to do and why you need somebody's support. Have clear, you know, uh, ways that people can help. Be, you know, super organized, persistent. (laughs) Um, Don't take no for an answer. Um, (laughs) And just, you know, dedicate yourself to it. And that was, um, that took, um, I think that ended up taking three years of my life uh, we were there for four years so three years and um i think this one's this project is going to be as long or longer so mm-hmm. i hope i can apply some of what i learned there um and again if i can make the trains run on time in a developing country surely i can invent <laughs> nantucketers to uh, use less light it just seems like just see it, it's more it should be more manageable even though it feels daunting at the moment it should be manageable Mm -hmm.
1: well i was thinking for you that this podcast actually might be a great way to explain what you're doing in one fell swoop for people on nantucket to help actually advocate so here we are is there anything you want anyone from nantucket to know um from this podcast
2: well, we would love everybody who wants to uh, preserve Nantucket Dark Skies to to join our uh, mailing list for starters. Because mm. the more supporters we have, the more uh, our elected officials will listen to us, and I think the more impact we will have. Um, we obviously uh, things any campaign like this takes money, and uh, we could use donations. We have a GoFundMe campaign started. Um, it's called Help Preserve Nantucket Starry Night. And mm. uh, the more money, more donations we get, the more we can do. Um, so far, we have enough to buy the the sky quality meters. Um, I think we have enough to start maybe a bumper sticker campaign, which I think would be cool. Oh, great. Um, uh, we have enough to, to pay uh, uh, for um, maybe some public service announcements. Um, but mainly I want people who come to Nantucket to just sort of join me in educating themselves, turning down their own lights, making sure their own lights are dark sky friendly, turning them off as much as possible and having a friendly chat with their their neighbors. Um, That's what really worked in the village of Sconcet where I said I've been working for the last Mm. four or five years on this issue. It's just neighbor to neighbor Um, and bringing about a culture change where everybody wants to protect our dark skies and values our dark skies. And just, um, you know, just helping me educate. That's what I would like. And Mm -hmm. um, letting our elected officials know that this is important to them. Um, So that's what I would like them to know. And I hope this reaches a lot of people who come in the summer who otherwise I might not be able to reach.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great way to have this burst of info come to people about the work that you're doing. And I think what you are doing is not only important in this case of Nantucket, but that you can also emerge as a model um, for how you did this grassroots advocacy and how you built it up. So I'm just appreciative for what you're doing in terms of leading the way of this grassroots advocacy. Um, so thank you so much, and I'm just looking forward to knowing you in this uh, sphere and working with you more. So thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you, Jane. And let me just end by saying, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I started out without any knowledge. Um, you just have to have, the passion and the, the time, uh, commitment to it. But I hope other people do take this back and do something in their own communities. That would be, that would be wonderful.
1: I hope so, too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jane.
0: Look no further for dark sky friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more international dark sky association certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, suggest the Omnimax with shielding or the AreaMax with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma! illuminating the pursuit of darkness.